When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your questions on kicking your guests out, vegan wedding receptions, whether or not to cancel a party, a guest who's frustrated with bad invites, and offering condolences upon meeting someone for the first time. All that, plus your feedback, a salute, and a postscript segment on housewarming etiquette, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. I witnessed something so egregious I've never seen it before. That bad. It was that bad. Do tell. All right, so my buddy was playing at Nectar's this weekend, right? Okay, so I've got to jump in. <laughs> okay, jump in. Nectar's famous. Just for the record, that's Dan interrupting me for, for everybody who's counting, because I'm always interrupting Dan. All right. Well, I'm excited. I, I, I know, I'm glad. <laughs> having grown up in Vermont when yeah. Fish was coming of age in the late 90s, the album picture of Nectar was a big part of my high school experience in Nectar's. It's a very popular music venue in downtown Burlington. So my buddy's playing at Nectar's, right? And he has the first set, and there's two other bands to follow. And he's wrapping up his set. He plays until like 9 p.m. And he's on what he thought was his last song. Turned out he had five more minutes. So as he's playing his last song, all of a sudden the guys who you've seen coming in and out of the backstage door and are clearly like the next band start to gather at the front of the stage. And this is like his set's like an acoustic set. So it's quieter. So people are like sitting at tables a little further back from the stage. This isn't like rocking right up front like fist pumping in the air straight in front of the the front man kind of a thing it's a different different vibe so there's nobody else in front of the stage except for this other band that's going to be on next and they're having like a band meeting right in front of my friend who's playing his solo gig there and they're literally starting to talk about where they want to move the stuff that's set up on stage already. And one of them starts grabbing at some of the stuff on stage while my buddy is playing. I couldn't believe it. Another performer, and he's got still five minutes to go. So he finishes, he looks up at the clock and he goes, hey, I got time for one more song. I'll play a quick one for you. And the other band says, no, I'm sorry, you can't. We need to get up there. And he's like, um, I play till nine, like my set's not finished. And they just started arguing with him to the point where he got off the stage. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen such a disrespectful um, exchange between two musicians. Like, But they were literally touching stuff on stage while he was performing. I was livid. Other people were livid. They were going to the manager and being like, this is ridiculous. Who, who do you hire here? I'm going back in time to my performing days and trying Crazy. to imagine what it would be like to to feel so disrespected in what 
what for you is a professional space. Right. When you're performing, you're a working professional and it can feel like uh, a party if you're playing music somewhere. It can feel like um, something really exciting if it's a play or a dance or but it's still work, even if it's fine art. And the idea that someone wouldn't be respectful of that is, I, I, I would say shocking, except we encounter these kinds of things. Sure. I'm curious, how did your friend handle it? He he said into the microphone, well, guys, sorry, seems like there's a band meeting here, so I'm going to have to get going, but thanks so much for listening. But it meant that he didn't get to do like his end plug for his future shows and, and that sort of stuff. And it just, it was just ugly. And um, one of the band members actually tried in a, in a moment of, I think, trying to commiserate, leaned towards me and the person sitting next to me. And both of us said, I'm sorry, but neither of us thought you should be up there. And he said, oh, so you think it was rude that I was doing what I was told and, and getting my equipment to stage? And I said, I thought it was rude that you did it before the other performer was finished, regardless of what your time was. I could feel. Like, I was so mad. I just straight up said it. Yeah, you were rude. And I don't do that. Like, Dan and I don't walk around calling people out on being rude. Like, we just don't do that. I couldn't help myself. I was like, no, 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 that was rude. And the woman next to me was like, it was extremely rude. And the guy was just like, oh, oh, oh. And you're like, sorry. <laughs> I got, that, that's it. <laughs> I can feel your aggravation. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, um, it's palpable. <laughs> and it reminds me of how how awkward really rude behavior is and how impactful it is, not just on the person who experiences it, but witnesses, that it really does cascade outward, that 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 kind of disrespect or rude behavior, it is impactful. Well, it's funny. (laughs) It's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, your your husband, wife, roommate, friend comes over after a long day or whatever, and you can feel the moments of rudeness that they're trying to shake off of their day. Like you can actually feel them because you're right. It carries with the person who witnessed it. It's something that sticks with you. You don't know why it happened. You're confused by it. You're upset by it. You're annoyed by it. And often you don't like Dan and I spend a lot of time on the show talking about how to solve rude and difficult situations. There are so many daily situations that are rude, that are frustrating. That person who honks at you or or does a rude gesture in traffic where and you just don't. There is no recourse. You just have to deal with it. And that is it's so frustrating. And it is why I think we take the time to encourage you when the moment is safe and the moment is right to speak up and to stand up and to be that voice that says, I'm not going to accept this rudeness or I'm at least going to point out that it is rude or to be that person who's able to, if it's the right moment, to instead walk away, to not absorb, to remind yourself that it's in your choice how you internalize and how much you let that moment affect you. I mean, you know, you got to pick your battles and you got to pick when you use which strategy. But oh, my goodness, I'm still upset about it, clearly. And I'm happy to be here because sometimes the thing to do is to to take it away, but then to try to process it out. And you've got to talk about it with someone and you've got to work out a little bit. Was this rude? Did that, does this sound rude to you? Because this really, this hurt me. I didn't like seeing this. And hopefully, if we can't solve it in the moment, that we can help to dissipate some of that bad feeling by acknowledging each other. Speaking of which, gonna... we've got a bunch of questions to get to. We should probably dissipate some feelings from our audience, huh? Let's give it a shot. All right. It looks all right, but what am I supposed to do? That's the question. (laughs) 
On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question is titled, The Party is Over. Go home. Get out. We're going to bed. Lights off. Are you getting my drift? Cook us breakfast in the morning. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Hi, Etiquette Crew. First off, I love your show. I feel like I'm becoming more aware by listening and keeping some of your advice in the back of my head, which I think the world needs more of. We hope so. Actually, I don't hope the world needs more of it, but I hope they listen to more of it. I know the holiday season is fast approaching, and for some, it has already started. My fiancé and I love to host people for a variety of events. Recently, we've encountered a problem. We'll have friends over for drinks and food, and after all the goodies are gone, folks will stick around, and someone, with a Mary Poppins-type bag, produces another set of drinks. We've started a step-by-step process to gently nudge people that the party has ended. We'll ask about safe rides home or to call and sometimes pay for taxis or Ubers, and we'll offer our second bedroom for those who'd prefer to just crash. However, even our gentle nudges don't seem to help folks understand the underlying message. We've taken to doing the bad thing, starting to clean up and doing dishes— When that doesn't work, we'll yawn and one of us will even go to bed. I know these aren't good for a host to do, but after 11 p.m., midnight, and 1 a.m. roll on, we don't know what to do. Help. Any advice on what we can do, I'd love to hear. Thank you. Well, thank you for your question. This is not an uncommon or unfamiliar situation if you're in the etiquette business. We've heard about this one before. In fact, one of my favorite pieces of advice is the the advice that I learned from Lizzie Post's mother, Trisha Post, about this particular situation. Uh, and that is? Well, and, and, I, and I thought of it because as you were introducing the question, you said, turn the lights off. And I, and I thought, no, no, no. The Trisha Post trick is you turn the lights on. You turn them you up. You turn them up. Yes. So as you turn the music off, you turn the lights on. And that tends to send people scurrying for the shadows. <laughs> That's one trick for sure. That's, first of all, I want you to know you're actually doing the right things. Cleaning mm-hmm. up, doing the dishes, turning the lights off, up, excuse me, putting the bar away, turning the music down. Those are all the indicators. We go so far as to even suggest you can walk them to the door and grab their coat and say, Jim, we love you, but you can't stay here. I am going to make one safety announcement, and that's to remember that most homeowners insurance policies make you the homeowner liable for anyone that you serve alcohol to. So we've actually stopped recommending that you put people in taxis or Ubers and send them home because you are still responsible for them, believe it or not, even after they've left your house because they were served usually alcohol at your house. Um, And that's a really important safety tip to know. So rather than send them home in a taxi, if you can't get them home safely and into their own home safely, then you really need to make up the couch, the spare bed, the floor with a pillow on it and a blanket. I mean, whatever it is, keep them on your property until they are safe. I also like the idea of not just saying, well, um, so-and-so is going to bed, but we're going to bed. Oh, yeah. We're going to bed. You really start to set those boundaries, make them clear, make them firm. That's part of your job as a host. You've got to give people um, the the gentle cues first, and you definitely want to notch up through those cues. But when that moment comes where you're really starting to think about the time you've got to set your alarm for the next morning and you're no longer focused on your guest, you're no longer being that really generous host, it's time to 
to switch up the way you play that role and really give your guests all the information they need to be successful and to be the kind of guests that want to be invited back. (laughs) Well, that's definitely true. And also remember, you don't have to wait for 1 a.m. for this to happen. If 11 p.m. is the late hour for you, it's okay to kick your guests out by 11 p.m. And yes, we are saying kick your guests out because sometimes that is what you have to do. But Absolutely. You know, James, I'm going to make up the couch. You're welcome to watch TV, but we're off to bed. Good night. And it's okay. Said with a smile and make sure that blanket's nice and warm and cozy. It really sounds like you are most excellent hosts. And we really hope that your next gathering is just as festive and fun as the last, but that you're able to get to sleep at a reasonable time. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is about a vegan wedding. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast and appreciate all your great advice. I'm currently having a bit of a disagreement with my mother, and I'm hoping you can solve our dilemma. My partner and I are considering marriage, and I would like to have a small, casual reception for family and friends, which we plan to pay for ourselves. We are both vegan and would like to share a vegan meal with our loved ones on our special day. I had planned for several options of tasty and easily recognizable dishes for the guests, but my mother says it's inappropriate to hold a reception without a meat dish. She is asking for a carving station and several dairy-based desserts. Because both my partner and myself are vegan for ethical reasons, we strongly opposed her idea. My mother and I have agreed to let you both be the last word on the matter. Please help us sincerely. Ethics or etiquette? Oh, ethics or etiquette, there is no debate here. It's totally appropriate to serve only vegan food at your wedding, especially because your reasons for being vegan are ethical. If your reasons for being vegan weren't ethical, I'd say, eh, 
that you might want to consider your guests and what they might enjoy. But because it's an ethical thing, I think there's absolutely no question in my mind. You serve what you feel confident buying and preparing and serving to your guests. Just like at a dinner party, I would never suggest that you have meat simply because it would comfort your guests who eat meat. I think that that's only really an option if it's something you feel comfortable with. And you don't feel comfortable with that. That's not how you prefer to live and operate in the world. So I say make sure that your wedding is a reflection of that. That being said, um, I would really try to lean towards dishes that are going to be palatable to omnivores. I think that it can be a little hard. A lot of people who don't eat vegetables as their main dish often find vegetable dishes bland or it doesn't look satisfying. So I would counter with two things. I would try really hard to have um, a lot of pasta dishes. Vegan pasta dishes are great options because pasta is something that a lot of omnivores are used to seeing and experiencing as a very satisfying meal, a very filling meal, a meal that's not going to leave you hungry. Um, So automatically just having a dish that's pasta-based will help create that. And there are lots of vegan pastas out there, so you don't have to worry about the egg that is often made with a lot of pastas. That being said, I would also make sure that my other dishes have a lot of depth of flavor. That's something that'll help make them satisfying to people who aren't used to a dish of just vegetables being satisfying. You know, a lot of meat dishes do contain a lot of salt. So when that's not present, which salt can often over kill vegetables, you want to try to replace it with a depth of flavor. Um, I think about actually some of the amazing dishes that I've learned to cook from this show um, that that I was really surprised at how much like a mushroom broth turned out to have just a really intense and deep flavor that enriched the dish. Just yesterday, we were talking about the grilled cheese cart that you could run with your 10 most favorite grilled cheese recipes. And it was reminding me how satisfying, how appealing. Well, a vegetarian diet could be. That's obviously not a vegan option. but Right. But but no, but grill, you know, I, you and I have talked many, many a time as I've, I've ventured into having a more plant-based diet um, about this, how satisfying some of these dishes are. So I say just go for dishes that have a lot of depth of flavor, that look substantial, that feel substantial. And I think your omnivores will feel very taken care of. Just for fun, I'm going to mention the other side just because I want mom to hear some of her concerns addressed as well. And I really like the way you keyed on the question of is this an ethical question for you? And Emily Post herself was was really interested in the idea that good etiquette is based out of good ethics and that it needs to come from a place of a strong ethical understanding. And I think that it is really important to look at how connected to your fundamental values this choice is because there is room to think to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm going to put my guest comfort ahead of my own. I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone here and I'm going to have a carving station. I wouldn't eat at it myself. In fact, I wouldn't even walk to the side of the room that it's in, but I'm willing to have it there for the sake of my guests. You might also say if my mother was co-hosting, it looks like she's not in this situation. But if she was playing other roles that you're going to let her make a few decisions or participate. And it's certainly understandable that those thoughts would be playing in your mind. At the same time, I was saying to myself, what would be a parallel or an analogous situation? I was thinking about somebody that um, didn't drink alcohol and was really firm about that and had very strong ethical reasons for that. You might very well say, you know, we're going to honor that. We're going to honor that in this situation. Even if somebody else would be more comfortable if alcohol was served, we're going to respect that decision. And I think that when you operate from that ethical framework, when you talk about why this is a values choice for you, I think you start to be in much stronger territory for 
thinking about the ways that you employ the kind of options that Lizzie's talking about and that you take care of your guest comfort in those ways. And I really hear that kind of thinking in the answer that she gave you. And I really want to affirm that approach in this particular situation, although it's, it's tough to be in the, the, the role of the decider having to make a choice. Ethics or etiquette, we are so excited about your coming marriage, and we wish you the best for your reception. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Cancel the party? My question is, if my brother-in-law's mother passed away and they travel out of town, should I cancel a family dinner-slash-birthday party I was going to have during that same time? Is it bad manners? I didn't think about that until this morning. So, you know, you're throwing a family birthday party and brother-in-law's mom passes away. They now have to travel out of town. They're going to miss the birthday party. My question is, I guess, who's the birthday party for? No, that's that the, the first thing that jumps to? into okay. my mind also. Because there isn't a, a firm rule of etiquette here that we can turn to. There isn't a prescribed mourning period for family members that are this degree of separation. So there really is a, a situation where you're going to have to make a decision about what's appropriate yourself. And when you're doing that, you really want to think about the relationships of the people involved and you want to honor those relationships. Sometimes that person who's passed is so close to other people in the family that it would feel really awkward to have a celebration in that moment. Well, I could imagine something. I was trying as in my head because this one is a bit vague because we don't know how close we we don't know who the birthday party is for, first of all. So if the birthday party is for one of the people that has to go to the funeral, I would say then absolutely cancel reschedule. Right. But I could also see if the birthday party was for your mother you know, she's now seeing that her son-in-law and her her daughter or son, you know, had just lost someone very close to them, that oftentimes the parent of, of the in-laws will come. Bad example. But if one of your parents passed away, Pooja's parents would come to that funeral mm-hmm. um, and show support and love and support. And that would be really, really normal, very acceptable behavior. So probably appreciated. Appreciated. Exactly. So I could see that if the party, but I could see if the party was for your uncle or someone who really didn't know the person who passed away. And if you weren't, if that uncle was not very close with um, your brother-in-law and and his spouse, that I could see that being a thing where the party goes on and you just kind of celebrate and, and keep the loved ones in mind who aren't there. But you know, I could see that being one where the party continues. But it all depends on who who's being honored and who's being included. And I think it's really one of those places where you can trust your common sense. Imagine the scene. Imagine the event. Imagine what it is that you're planning and ask yourself, is this going to be awkward? Is this going to feel weird? And the answer may be yes. The answer may be no. Sometimes it's about carrying on and continuing and and a birthday is something to celebrate and there really might be an opportunity to get people together and the the flavor of that celebration might be a little different but it also might be a real opportunity for people to be together and remember family and connection and some of those things in life that are really worth celebrating another thing that occurs to me is as i'm saying that is that there might be some middle ground territory here That it might not be a question of the thing that I was imagining or not the thing that I was imagining, but in response to what has happened, there's going to be something that happens that's somewhere in between. The the just the tone of the event is going to be a little bit different. The number of people who can attend is going to be a little bit different. And the people who remain are going to be approaching it a little bit differently. And I would leave room in your construction or thinking about what's going to happen for that possibility as well. 
I'm really glad you're thinking about this, and I'm sure that that level of forethought is going to really help you make a good choice in this situation. Whatever you decide, we wish you the best. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled Uptake Guest, and I just want to let you know I didn't title it. That was what the, what it was signed as. I wanted to start us off. I don't happen to think our guest is that uptight. I love it when they come pre-titled. <laughs> Hi, Dan and Lizzie. You guys are awesome, and I always enjoy listening to your podcast each week. Well, thank you so much. I love your show. Congratulations, Dan, on becoming a daddy soon. Being a parent is one of the most challenging and rewarding things I have ever experienced. Well, an an extra thank you for that. I'm so looking forward to it myself. This isn't holiday related, but I started thinking that maybe your answer could help someone else who may potentially be facing the same issue in the near future. I have received two invitations in the past few weeks. One is for a baby shower and the other is a kid's birthday party. Both were in email form, which are completely fine and, in my book, more convenient at times. The baby shower invitation subject line said, Save the date, and had the name of the city where the shower would be held, but no exact location. Yet, it included an RSVP by date. The other invite, which is for a birthday party, included a save the date email, then followed by, Please let me know if you can or can't make it, which is essentially asking for an RSVP. I find it super frustrating and rude to ask me to RSVP to something without giving me all the details. While it does help that the name of the city is included, it gives me no context for how far I need to travel. I actually asked the baby shower organizer if she had any more details, and she gave me the name of the town. But I noticed that others RSVP'd yes to the baby shower without knowing the location, so I'm wondering if it's just me that finds this so weird and rude. Also, I thought a save the date was different from an actual invitation, so you shouldn't have to respond. Thanks for reading. Signed, Uptight Guest. Again, I'm jumping right in and saying, I just don't think our guest is being uptight. I think these are bad invitations. I do too. I'm calling it out. I'm saying it. I I don't think it's good. It's not a clear ask. You're not giving people any kind of a sense of where they're actually headed. You put a town's name on it, as we all know. Some towns are really big. It could take half an hour to get across town to wherever this house or party or venue is located. I mean, this is absurd. And the fact that that uptake guest actually called and asked for more information and got zilch, I'm like, even I wouldn't go to the parties. I'd be like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't, I don't even know where I'm going. And to really answer the question, too, save the dates for a baby shower and a birthday party. You I was wondering. save the dates for a wedding. You don't send save the dates for a kid's birthday party. I don't know. Maybe competition's starting to get rampant among, among six-year-olds, but... I just feel like that is real. And, and she's absolutely right. You do not RSVP to a save the date. You RSVP to an invitation. Sorry, I'm getting a little like fired up over here, but I just can't believe. I like it. I just can't believe that when a guest calls and asks you where the party is, you wouldn't give them the address of the party. I mean, that is rude, right? Or, or just say, we don't know yet. We, well, we don't yeah. have a venue yet. We really wanted to let people know that we're planning to have yeah. it in so-and-so, but I, I wish I could give you more I can't right now. But, like, say 
that on the invitation. You know, details about actual location to come by X date or something. Like, as a host, communicate to your guests. This is bad communication. It is bad communication. In some ways, I, I see the intent for it to be good communication. You're sending that save the date early because you want to let people know. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, it doesn't matter if I get all the information on there. I'm just telling them it's going to be then because, as you say, the competition is very stiff right now between the six-year-old birthday parties. Where I find the hitch here is asking for the RSVP to that save the date. It's one thing to sort of give someone a heads up in the spirit of here, this is coming. I want you to know and maybe even hold it on your calendar and saying I I need a commitment from you about this. I really want to hear from you a yes or a no before I've really finished mapping out what we're talking about. Exactly. I Yeah, I definitely feel like this This goes a bit far. I think Uptake Guest is in, in the right position to be a little, like, perturbed by these invites. Well, and I think that right position comes from it actually not making a lot of sense. Yeah. And here's where I want to do a little absolution. I, don't, I wouldn't worry so much about being uptight. I appreciate your mentioning that you don't mind receiving the email invitation and that you, in yeah. fact, find it more convenient in some instances. And I was recently a part of a shower that had an email invitation that worked really, really well. And it worked well for me. It worked well for managing a guest list. And they are appropriate in some situations. It's not like we're trying to hold on to engraved invitations that follow a strict form that was outlined in 1945. What we're really trying to think about here is what's going to work and what's going to help everyone get to this party and the party be a success. And what's not working about this is that the inviters, the hosts, have not done a good job. They haven't created what we call clear asks. And that really has, on both counts, you know, upset the guest. And I think that that's important to recognize that this isn't a successful email invite. This isn't where this works well. This actually has worked against the host to the point where the guest doesn't really is is not looking forward to the event because it's so poorly organized in this way. And the event itself might be a smash hit. I mean, they might have the best baby games or the best goodie bags for the kids. But if you're not inviting clearly and it's a pain in the neck for parents to be able to respond to these things, I think you're really you're really causing an issue here. And this is a nice reminder right before the holidays. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to acknowledge that oftentimes with an event like a shower or a birthday party, it feels like everyone involved knows each other very well. They're very close. They're very intimate. And sometimes people start to make a little allowances for themselves. Oh, they'll understand their family. And it's important not to take those relationships for granted, to still really play that role of host well so that you start the event off in that good spirit that you want it in. So here's the problem is that we've clearly agreed with uptake guests that this is not cool. What is what she's received these he or she has received these two invites. But what do you do now? I mean, my suggestion was definitely going to be to call the organizer and ask, but uptake guest has done that. And uptake guests didn't get very far with that. I think it's up to you whether or not you decide to go to either of these parties. If they aren't people you're particularly close with, personally, I wouldn't bother with it. You know, if, if this isn't a kid that my, my kid is really, really close with, if it's, not, if it's not someone I'm really close with, then no, I'm sorry. Like, I might not go. But then again, if it's, you know, hey, this is annoying and I'm writing into my favorite etiquette podcast about it because they're going to understand how annoying this is. But really, yes, I can figure it out and I can track down the the location of the actual events. Then by all means, go and have a good time and have let your kids have a good time. But I think it's really up to you as to how you respond to invitations like this and how how much you try to track down the info that you need in order to actually get to the party. 
uptight guest, we hope that helps you feel a little less uptight and you're able to enjoy whichever party you decide to go to. Our next question is titled, What to Say? Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I really enjoy your show. I work in a bank and I frequently interact with our customers. Often customers inform me that someone close to them has passed away because it's relevant to their joint bank accounts. I'm not sure if I should react with, I'm sorry for your loss, or I'm so sorry to hear that, or just say nothing at all. I don't know most of our customers personally. This is the first time I'm meeting them, and I'm getting really big, bad news in their lives. What do you think would be appropriate as well as professional? Thank you, Barb. Barb, thank you for your question. And the the title for this question really will lead me into our answer. You're wondering what to say. And that is so often the question that occurs to people when they're confronted or they meet someone who suffered a loss. And the biggest mistake that people often make is because they don't know what to say. They don't say anything at all. They think that they shouldn't say anything or they're so scared to say the wrong thing that they don't say something that would be really helpful or appropriate in that moment. So, I actually think the thing that you're saying is incredibly appropriate. You can always say to someone, I'm sorry for your loss. That is actually a pretty good thing to say. You can also say, I'm really sorry to hear that. And that is that is also a really appropriate thing to say. The trickier territory that you want to avoid is making assumptions about the other person, saying things like, oh, I, I really know what you're going through. It feels like an empathetic thing to say, but you might not. So it's really important not to, to not make that assumption. I think what's really nice about the, a, the the language that Barb has suggested and the additional language Dan's provided is that they're really great for that professional context where this really is the first time you're meeting someone and the first thing you find out about them is that they've lost a loved one usually. And that that is hard, but it is also a, there is a professional distance that I think is appropriate to have in there. And I think that's why saying I'm so sorry for your loss or I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. How can I help you here today? Because that is the role you're at. You're not there to provide life advice. You're not there to be their shoulder to cry on. You're there to help with their banking. And they're letting you know that there are circumstances where someone attached to the account is literally no longer living. And so it's important to acknowledge it. You do not have to go beyond that because that then could become awkward territory where now the person who's trying to get through and run these errands and deal with these kind of tie up things that tend to happen after someone's passed away. This isn't the time to be engaged them in, in a, a, a grieving session or, you know, um, bereavement support. And I would love it, Dan, if you wouldn't mind going through, because we talk in our book about things to say and things not to say. I think we've covered Barb in the professional aspect of her banking job, but I'd love to hear, because I, I think this is kind of an important subject matter. Do you want to just run through kind of the, the difference in your more personal Let's do it. engagements? And, and it's, yeah. it's possible that if you've got a more personal relationship with a customer that you might tread into some of this territory. But again, this would be if that conversation starts to develop a little bit. I really like the language that Lizzie used of asking, let me help you in any way that I can. Sometimes we ask people to to give specific ideas, things that they might offer to help out. So it doesn't put the burden on the other person of coming up with what that thing is. So it, you might say to someone, let me get this for you or let me make you dinner tonight in a more personal situation as opposed to call me if you need anything. You make the offer. You extend yourself a little bit. You offer the thing that you think that will will be most helpful in a situation. You can always tell someone, please know that I'm thinking of you. You can always empathize in that way. You can tell them that your thoughts are with them. You want to avoid language like, oh, 
time heals all wounds or uh, you'll feel better at some point or you'll get over it. You don't want to, to jump ahead and try to anticipate where someone will be in the future. They're still going through that grief process and you want to honor that. You can make a comment about the person who has passed. You can offer a positive thought about that person if you know them, if you know them in a way that that you feel comfortable expressing a connection with them. You know, he, he was really an incredible person. She really made an impact on me. Those are ways to talk about someone that is really affirming and will, will let someone who is missing them know that you also miss them. You don't want to try to, to make that, that missing better by saying something like, she's in a better place now or he's in a better place now. That can feel like uh, reassuring language, but sometimes it's just something that someone's not ready to hear yet. Another way that you might talk about somebody who's passed is share a personal remembrance. You can say something like, you know, I remember what a great time we had doing X, Y, or Z. Or, uh, you know, every time she came in here, she always put a smile on my face. You can talk about a particular or specific thing, uh, a way that you connected with that person that really had some meaning for you. The one other piece of language, and this is going to sound like really common sense advice, but it, it bears saying because it's something that comes up, is you really want to avoid any language that implies that things are better now because the person has passed. Even something like, at least he's not suffering anymore, which might sound from one perspective like a positive thought, from another perspective can um, actually come across in a really hurtful way. Barb, thank you for this question. People come to the Emily Post Institute website looking for information about funerals and how to deal with someone's passing all the time. In fact, it's one of the most searched terms that gets people to Emily Post. So that's certainly one resource that people can look at if they're curious about etiquette around someone's passing. There is another great resource. A woman named Karen Zinn worked very closely with my Aunt Peggy for many years, and she has a website called Heart to Soul that I would also recommend to anyone who's in the grieving process or who's interacting or dealing with someone who's lost someone close to them recently. It's also an excellent resource. Thank you for your questions. And don't forget, you can send us updates, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or feel free to leave us a message at 802-866-0860. Or feel free to get in touch with us via Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your comment, salute, or question on the show. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself, too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. Okay, so it's your turn now. <laughs> we love the feedback section of our show where we get to hear your reaction to our etiquette advice. You've been letting us know, and producer Chris Roberts will serve as your feedback spokesperson. Hello, Chris. Hello there, Dan. Hi, Lizzie. You probably won't be surprised to learn that we're still hearing from listeners who want to help Maddie, the college student who doesn't drink because of the medication she takes and who doesn't want to have to explain whenever she declines a drink. Our listener Nancy knows what it's like to be in Maddie's shoes, and Nancy writes, I have not had alcohol in decades, but I do drink. I enjoy a soda or soda water with a twist. Rather than meeting the offers of drinks with, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm good, I prefer a more positive approach. 
I say, I would love a soda water or bottled water. Hosts want you to be happy and pleased. And if you come armed with what they can do for you rather than what they cannot do for you, I find it feels better all around. Enjoy your show so much. Thanks, Nancy. I guess Nancy is telling us to be proactive instead of reactive. I love the positive approach. And I think that this will serve Maddie really well a few years down the line. I think that it's not something she can't try at a college party, but I think that the hosting roles are really different at a college party and that you're not really dealing with, in the words of our dear friend uh, Kelly Williams-Brown, I will say adulting parties, or you know, where you're really at that kind of adult level of entertaining where, of course, your host is going to respect your wish. I think you're dealing with People who are, yeah, new to the drinking scene in some cases, they're excited, they're thrilled, they just don't get that someone who doesn't drink doesn't want to be asked a million times, doesn't want to be pressured. Um, I think just the circumstances are a little bit different, but I think that it's still a great proactive place to come from of, I do drink, I just drink water, or I do drink, but I don't drink alcohol. And it's, I think I like the idea of phrasing it in that positive of, yes, I do drink. I would love a ginger ale. I think that's a great way to go. Absolutely. You may remember Confused about local social currency from episode 113. This was the woman who was traveling overseas to join friends she had met when they visited the U.S. Oh, yeah. But there was this one woman in the group who our listener couldn't stand, who offered to host our listener for a night, and that filled our listener with anxiety and dread. So another listener, Barclay, heard this on the podcast and wanted to share an insight. And Barclay writes, I wonder if this seemingly mean girl, just to put a label on it, was overcompensating for nerves or social ineptness at finding herself in a new and strange country, not excusing her behavior, but wondering if, on her own home turf, she may be more gracious and understanding. I thought your advice to make the best of it and keep an exit strategy in your back pocket was wonderful, and I just wanted to throw out that other possible explanation. When I was in my early 20s, I lived in another country six to seven months at a time for three years. I know in my first year in that small community, I'm sure that I trampled some local social norms, despite my best efforts not to be the ugly American. Thank you, as always, for your wonderful podcast. Regards, Barclay. Oh, Barclay, I love this feedback. Thank you so much. I think it's so empathetic. You're really making that effort to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think the explanation that you offer, the possibility that this person might have a very different nature, might come across very differently in a place where they're more comfortable and understand the the social rules, customs, maybe even the language more intimately. I really appreciate that perspective. Thanks for sharing. And we had a response to the really helpful post-election etiquette postscript conversation Dan and Lizzie had, in which Dan advised that we think about the idea of sportsmanship that all athletes learn when they're young as we make our way through this post-election period. And this is what Dale wrote on the Awesome Etiquette Facebook page. 
When I listened to the show yesterday, I remembered my late stepmother, an ardent Democrat living in a very Republican county of Oklahoma by the time I knew her. She campaigned, put up yard signs, and so on. Then the day after the election, whatever the outcome might be, she took away all the yard signs and stickers and put up the American flag as a way of saying that the time for partisan campaigning had ended and it was time to be united. I really liked that symbolism. Oh, I agree. I think that's a, a wonderful sentiment. And it's one that um, I think it's it's difficult for some people to absorb that. I think people really feel the loss when they're sad. And each every single year we've seen it. We've seen the the, the side who, who doesn't get elected to the White House feel that loss. And I think this is such a great example of one way to absorb it and to empower yourself to move forward and, and trust in the processes and trust in the way that this all works and the way America chooses to do this. As always, thank you so much for your feedback. We really appreciate hearing what you have to say. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. But you already know a great deal. And you can learn still more by watching Mother and Dad and other people who have good manners. Time for the postscript segment of our show where we explore etiquette beyond the Q&A. And uh, after um, some of uh, wh- wh- why did I choose this one again? Something came up about this. I was writing about it. Something happened and I decided this would be a good one to move to. Well, you 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 raised this with me and I am really thinking as the little cabin that Pooja and I live in starts to feel smaller and smaller about moving. the possibility of a new home. That's right. So I said, okay. Lizzie Post, please help me out. Let's That's talk true. about Housewarming etiquette. We did have a question the other week about kind of an an apartment warming and getting people used to an apartment warming and was talking about housewarming etiquette in uh, one of the columns that I write. And we thought actually a housewarming etiquette segment would be a really good one to have. So what the heck is a housewarming? Why would you want a housewarming? What's the deal with housewarming? What is it? What is this party? This is a really classic American party. And it's one that it's kind of one of the more interesting things about housewarmings is that they don't necessarily happen when you buy your first house and become a homeowner. Every There are so many different living situations that we find ourselves in. Um, those in our 20s really transition almost every single year, at least in the Burlington community. It's just about every single year, uh, usually around June, um, is, is when people move apartments. So you could actually be very used to housewarming parties that are a come, get used to our new place. This is where we're going to be partying for the next year or whatever it is. That's kind of a really, really normal, really average American custom. There's also when you really do buy your first home or your first apartment, um, or your first condo, and this is going to be your place for a while and you have ownership over it. But in both cases, the point of this party is to warm your new home environment with your friends and family so that this new place feels more like home. It's amazing how those first few weeks when you haven't yet moved in. I remember when I bought my house and I had a month before I had to move out of my apartment and into my house. So I did all the painting and I did the store. You know, I just kind of went in slowly. And I remember how foreign that house felt to me until I had gotten all my stuff into 
to it. And then even once my stuff was in it, it was once I actually had friends and family over that that started to feel like home. And that's what a housewarming is really about. It's about exposing your home to your friends and family so it feels like home. I love that approach. I had in my head as I thought about housewarmings, always thought of it as a chance to meet the neighbors. That was the the concept that I have. And I've really liked the way my cousin has challenged me to broaden my thinking about what this party is and that it really is the the process of bringing friends and family and making your new place special with the human relationships that are so important to you. And maybe you'll meet the neighbors along the way, which is a, also a benefit to this type of event. Absolutely. And that's actually a really good question. Um, one of the things that gets a little interesting with housewarmings is that Often people go through that process of they get married and then they buy a house together and then they have kids or they get married and then they have kids and then they buy a new property. So you're kind of in this period of life where you're really used to parties that involve gifts and involve people bringing you gifts. And all of a sudden, we've been hearing a lot of whispers about the idea of registering for your housewarming party. And Dan's sitting across from me, tongue out, thumbs down. Um, and I'm totally exposing him on that one. It's made him laugh. But it's true. We're not a big fan of the idea of registering for a housewarming because two twofold. Number one, I think, has to do with what Dan just brought up, which is this actually is a party where you really might be inviting um, people who are brand spanking new to your life. They are new acquaintances. They are new neighbors. And to issue them an invitation that has registry information on it would be, I'm going to say it, tacky. Brow furrowing. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hey, come to my house. I barely know you. By the way, here's where you can buy me a gift. It is traditional that a lot of people bring gifts to housewarming parties, but they are often very what we think of as low stakes gifts. A plate of fresh made homemade cookies, um, you know, a house plant, um, some candles. And I'm not saying these are bad gifts. I'm just saying they are low stakes gifts. They are simple gifts. They are easy gifts. Um, the real gift is the warming of the house with the presence of the people, not the presence of the people um, that you're inviting. And because this is a great time to meet neighbors, let them into your life just a little bit. We're not saying that you have to tell them your secrets and show them, you know, behind closed doors. I think that, you know, an appropriate party where they just get a sense for who their new neighbors are, the people living right next door. It's a really welcoming gesture, but it's not one that needs to include a registry list. Thank you for the reminder. It is definitely easy to get a little registry happy because the the instinct, the impulse is often to be helpful. The idea behind a registry is that you're helping your guest out. So if you're anticipating those housewarming presents, it might feel the impulse might come from a very good and generous place of I want to help people out. But that the the. the by definition, mi potentially mixed nature of this event really does make this a more problematic approach than a helpful approach. So resist that urge if it's coming from the helpful place. And just remember, registries have their time and their place. This isn't one of them. And I would go so far as to say, even if your party doesn't consist of inviting the neighbors, maybe you are just inviting very close family and friends. It's not a present party. Baby showers, wedding showers, weddings as we know because there is a gift associated with the actual invitation whether you attend or not. Again, there is an aspect where a gift is a commitment. A housewarming does not have that. Housewarming gifts are optional. They are not mandatory and it's one of the reasons why a registry is inappropriate. 
the one other occasion that I think of a housewarming sometimes happening is when someone gets a second home or a vacation home and it's not in the community that they live in. Oh, that's a really good point. And in those instances, I really start to think about that housewarming party as an opportunity to meet some new people, to start to participate in a community that you're joining for the first time. And you want to make that entrance with care. You want to you want to uh, you want to be received well. So I think it's one of the places where it's worth thinking a little bit about what the tradition is and taking a guide from that thinking. It was very common in more traditional social etiquette for there to be an exchange of invitations when someone was new in a community. One person would host a little event when they were new and then that gave an opportunity for everyone who was invited to then do a reciprocal invite to have that person over to their house for a dinner party. Maybe they're going to introduce them to some friends or some people that they know. This is quite literally social networking. Who aren't the immediate neighbors but can start to broaden your social circle. This was the original social networking skill. This exchanging of invitations, this the, the idea that once you've hosted someone that it's courteous for them to do a reciprocal hosting of you back comes from a really practical place. And it makes a lot of sense. It's not a, a, a social obligation, but it's a real opportunity. And having some awareness of it can be to everyone's benefit. Whatever the occasion that might inspire your next housewarming, we really hope that this look at the tradition of the housewarming party and how it's evolved and changes and continues to serve us is helpful. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. favorite part of the show because every part's our favorite part we have an awesome etiquette salute today from johanna my salute is for the woman who helped me when i was at the target parking lot the other day i use social media to buy a really cool art piece for my office at work not realizing that the piece was way too big to actually fit into my car. So I was struggling in the parking lot to put this wall art into my car, turning it all these different ways. And the woman parked next to me came back to her car and she asked me if I needed some help. And she stood on the other side for about 20 minutes with me, trying to fit this thing into my car, giving me ideas about folding down seats, trying the trunk. And finally, when I was just about ready to give up, she suggested that we could use the jump rope she had in her car to leave my back door open but tie it so that everything would be safe. And that worked. We were able to tie the door shut. I got back to my office safely, and the piece looks beautiful in my office. So, Julie in Renton, Washington, thank you so much. Um, I'm a therapist, and I know that my clients will really appreciate this beautiful peaceful art piece that's now in my office. Thank you so much. Johanna, I wish that we all had the the good fortune to run into good Samaritans like that as we go about our our work. And uh, my wife, being a mental health counselor, also I am I, I appreciate the investment that goes into making an office space that really is welcoming and inviting to to people. So we're sure that it's going to work out well. Also, and thank you to that good Samaritan for helping you out. 
And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And don't forget to help us out. Please subscribe on iTunes. And if you like us, leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. And our show is produced by Chris Roberts. 